Welcome to the Dead Format, episode 77. My name is Ian McEwen, and I'm joined tonight by my co-host, the Marv to my Harry, Thomas Smiley, and we're here to talk about Legacy. It's absolutely crazy that Home Alone is now a Christmas classic. Let's get some Micro Machines and starting lineup figures and uh, <laughs> and have a, have a good Christmas. So did I get that right, man? Are you Marv? I'm definitely Marv. Marv's the older one. Uh, Marv is the the taller one. <laughs> yeah. Uh, you're Joe Pesci. You're absolutely Joe Pesci. That actually works really well because I still have no voice from being sick two weeks ago. It's perfect. I feel like I have a Pesci vibe going on. You definitely, you definitely do. Yeah. Hopefully, it triggers that ASMR tingle for our listeners. It's my Christmas. Do, do we want to? Do we want to do like a like a silent ASMR? Merry Christmas, everybody from. Joe Pesci at the Dead Format. You want to give like a little tingle? Uh, that that's Patreon. That's a Patreon perk. We'll, we'll Is it? it for the, uh, yeah. It's going right with Ian's foot, foot pictures. <laughs> pa- Patreon.com/slash/TheDeadFormat. Uh, yeah, visit bro. our our OnlyFans page. Is that is that what everybody's doing? Should we make uh, a lewd a lewd Twitter account? I don't know, bro. I've been out of the game for a while now. I'm just, uh, this is things that people are doing. I'm wondering if we're missing out. We need, we need to get one of those youngins in for social media promotion because I'm sure there's a market for it. <laughs> so your holiday vacation started, I imagine? It did. Didn't go to work today. Don't have to go back until the second. My finals are done. So, uh, yeah. That's awesome, bro. Yep, I, I'm enjoying uh, it. I met up, I got out of work at like three today. And I met up with our, our boy Rich and Andrew and played some old school and legacy. And it was really nice, man, like kick off the season. But as, as we're getting older, like I'm on the officially on like the back half of, of life now. The back nine started for me this year. And it's like the Christmas season is fucking stressful, bro. Like I'm very sober this year and I'm very aware of like my stress levels just going up, right? Yeah, I mean, like. It it family family stuff, traveling, getting everything together, having just like a short a short window to get everything done, is very stressful. But like, I don't know. That's what it's like. Yeah, it is. But I was really grateful to have that time today, to actually just play some Paper Legacy, dude. It'd been a while, honestly, at least a few weeks for me. But uh, yeah. Shout out to my friends. And actually, this is the two-year anniversary today of the first time I played old school. I met up with uh, Nick Scarcilli and this dude, Duncan, who's not around anymore. And we, uh, yeah, two years now playing old school. So that's uh, that's Christmas, bro. You got a little anniversary. It's nice. It is. So, yeah, we had a, we had a pretty wild week in Legacy. We had, a, well, Eternal Weekend, right? The last big event of the year. And the challenge also really kind of shook things up. Well, I don't know if the the challenge really shook things up, but Eternal Weekend was like, like big big stamp on it, absolute big stamp. Interesting. I, I'm I'm curious to get your thoughts on this now. Well, I feel like the challenge was just sort of like a like a leftover event. Like everybody was sort of trying to keep up with what was happening at Eternal Weekend, and. I, I don't know I don't know if the the challenge was really like groundbreaking. Okay, I got you. 
I I wasn't sure if the results from Eternal Weekend were available in time for the challenge, but it sounds like they were actually. Now I'm thinking about it. So I'm not sure if the top like the, what the actual top eight like the solidified top eight was, but I know that people were aware of what was doing well going into day two of the of the Eternal Weekend before the challenge happened. Right. So it, it wasn't it wasn't set, but some of the data was available. All right, that makes more sense to me. So yeah. We had, in both events, Grixis Delver being the big winner this week. Yeah, and I'm, I don't know. Like, I knew that that was the first deck that I wanted to screw around with when all the stuff got shook up. Yeah. But uh, the fact that it definitely took over and had a great showing in every event that it played in this weekend was uh, was pretty telling. The Thoughtseize Disruption Package ended up being really good for what was going on recently or has been really good for what's been going on recently so i don't think anybody's shocked that grixis delver performed well like it's one of those decks where you put it in the hands of a good pilot they're gonna do well yeah i mean it's it's clearly a good deck and we're in a spot where we as we've been talking about it's more really about the the pilots and how well you're playing at a given time than your deck it doesn't seem like any deck really has this huge jump on the metagame right but the, the way that these decks were built, and I'm talking about all of these decks, there was there were two Grixis Delver decks and a blue-red Delver deck in the Eternal Weekend Top 8, and there were three Grixis Delver decks in the Top 8 of the Challenge, but they were all built in the same way, right? Like, no Gurmag Angler, two Bedlam Reveler, and then uh, at least three Dreadhorde Arcanists and at least three Thoughtseize in the main deck. Yep. It was like a very solidifying around a list that we'd only seen as like one potential option as recently as last week. Like it, it seemed like the, the two Gurmag lists had been more popular actually. Yeah, the Bedlam Reveler list I had seen, but I don't think I really paid enough attention to it. Um, it it's really just the creature package <coughs> that's being swapped up though. Like the the spell shell has been pretty solidified for a very long time. Yeah, pretty much. I mean, the the thought season, the main deck part, though, I think is uh, is the big the big difference, right? We're we're on like most. I think the most common configuration I saw was three thought season, two fatal push. Yep. And I really like that. You know, I I think thought season is great. Obviously, right now, thought season with Dreadwar Arcanist is incredible. And uh, it's it's more like that build that we kind of talked about before. You know, any matches have been played in this new format where. Your your blue red delver splashing a few black cards, right? Yes. And I think that's why it's doing well, right? It it just is a little bit bigger against uh, than blue red delver, uh, so it can actually you know stand toe to toe with the astrolabe decks and probably have a pretty good matchup there, and it can be better against combo too. Yeah, like the black splash obviously gives it more game against combo. But again, were we seeing combo? Like, no. It, it's another one of those things where we thought that, all right, the Delver deck sort of got shook back. Maybe Grixis is going to come up. But Grixis had been around, but hadn't really done a ton up until the last few weeks. And we thought, all right, well, maybe, maybe it's time for combo. Fair decks like Death and Taxes are coming back a little bit. Maybe maybe it's time for that and nothing. Nothing. 
how much do you think that this could be a function of people just playing what they want to play and people wanting to play blue decks? I mean, or fair blue decks, I should say. They're like the allure. A lot of the allure to legacy is casting your cantrips to find the cards that you want to cast, right? Yeah. So I think there are way more people that are attracted to playing fair blue. That's absolutely true. And again, I don't want to say like Eternal Weekend isn't like a. It's not like a spike tournament because obviously some very, very, very good people go to travel to that. But Eternal Weekend seems to be a little bit uh, more of a destination for the people who play once a year, right? Not not a, all right, I'm on the legacy grind. This is where I'm going. Maybe I'm wrong about that. Yeah, I couldn't really say because the it seems like it's, it's shrunk down. I don't know what Europe has done uh, previously, but I believe this was 225 players in this event. And, you know, it's right up against Christmas. So there's an element of, you know, selecting for more enfranchised players, right? When you, when you start adding barriers to the tournament like that. And we see like, you know, three or four huge names in the top eight. So obviously there were some, some real ringers there, but I do know what you're saying in general. Eternal weekend does skew a lot more casual than like a grand prix or even a star city, right? Yeah, and I think that I think that I was actually very wrong about that because I forgot about the impact of Christmas. Like, I'm sitting here with my vacation time, not thinking about what it would have taken to like travel to go play in that. Yeah. And I actually I didn't know I didn't know the the tournament size either. So if it was only 225 people, then it probably was like a pretty dense a pretty dense competitive tournament. It, it seems that way, yeah, and. Actually, the winner was that dude, Hans Jacob, that we talked about, who uh, who came over here and stole our championship a couple years ago. Now he's just got to hit, like, they don't have Eternal Weekend Asia, do they? Oh, do they? Is they he did. eligible for, like, a like a, like a three-peat? I know they probably did, but I, I haven't heard anything about it. Bro, the globalist hat trick. Do they still have it? Yeah. He's got to go. <laughs> he's got to get one in each. He got that, all the starter Pokemons. That would be sick, bro. The So Hans Jacob headed to the Middle Kingdom. I like that. It's uh, it's like a very, very uh, Christmas-sounding name, too, Hans Jacob. Yes. Um, Jingleheimer Schmidt. There we go. Thank you. I couldn't figure is that, out is why. Is that what you're trying to think of? I guess it yeah. is, yeah. I, I couldn't exactly say why Hans Jacob reminded me of Santa Claus, but... Yeah, uh, my kid watches the ton of YouTube video channels for kids' songs, so uh, that's how I knew that. Sweet. Which, by the way, if I have to watch one more fucking Blippy video, or Peppa Pig, or fucking Ryan's toy review, I just forget it. Forget it. Yo, is that that kid that made six million dollars or eight million dollars? Twenty twenty-six million dollars. And the dude Blippy made twenty million. I honestly. We we completely fucked up in our career choice. Like, we're yeah, we should have made a kids YouTube channel. We shouldn't be making Magic the Gathering podcasts. We should be doing kids YouTube content. We'd be killing it. Well, dude, some uh, Zoomer followed me on Twitter today, like a legacy playing Zoomer. So uh, we we maybe we are making a kids podcast at least. Maybe maybe we just need to add some like. We need to sing an alphabet song that loops for 45 minutes to get kids that just put on YouTube and watch it. 
Yeah. And uh, we'll get some graphics. And uh, we'll make a ton of money. Bro, I got a serious question for you for a second. Since you're talking about YouTube and we kind of got off on a tangent. Yeah. How Do you feel like your brain has been changed by social media? I mean, obviously. But, I mean, I'm, I'm old. So I, I have no frame of reference for how my brain has changed. I know my short-term memory is going. I know there's a lot of things that, like, aren't working the way they used to. Do you mean that you can't isolate the variables? Like, you can't say what's social media versus age? Okay, that's a much better way of putting it. Okay. Like, obviously, I can relate media, to that, yeah. Yeah, obviously, social media has changed, like, the way that I interact with people that I know. Like, barely talk on the phone anymore. It's usually texts and group chats and, like, all this all this other crazy stuff. But, yeah. Uh, I'm that, sure... That's, like, behavioral inconvenience, too. Like, like, a lot of that's sort of explainable but i feel like this year specifically i've I've really noticed like a a serious impact that i think social media is having on me where i'm like it's harder to start reading a book because like we're addicted to that like more instant hit of like 140 characters or whatever oh yeah what i i don't know the last time that i actually sat down and read a full book usually the only time that happens is when i'm flying so i'll buy i like either pick out a book beforehand or buy one in the airport when uh when i'll be flying because i know my phone is gonna die but that's pretty much it for me yeah it's crazy like i was trying to watch this show the witcher on netflix you heard of that yeah i heard it was good but then again i bought the video game that everybody was like man this video game is amazing and then i gave it away after like two days it was fucking awful oh well i tried to watch it and i just like couldn't get through the first episode so i don't know like you know i didn't know anything about it so i it was kind of like whatever, but I don't know, man. I'm really starting to get concerned. I think I might take a break from, from Twitter. Yeah. Well, I mean like taking breaks from social media seems like, seems like it's fine, but if you're just going to take like a little break and then go back later, does it really mean anything? I don't if, know. If the I cause, don't... if the cause of whatever's going on is social media and you're like, oh, I'm going to take a break and you still plan on going back, it doesn't fix anything. I think I just want to take a long enough period where I can say, okay, this change, you know, I feel better now. Like, see if I actually feel better or if I don't feel any different in a few weeks. I got you. I think I think it's just tough to isolate everything. It is, yeah. On, right, because the holidays will be over. You'll feel refreshed. You'll have less stuff to do. Yeah. You'll be home. You won't be traveling. It, yeah. At the very least, I'm at least going to next year, the week leading up to Christmas, just completely unplugged from social media. Because, like, as projects were winding down at work, and then there's, like, all the stress of, like, which families you're going to and stuff, and then also people, like, are messaging you or whatever even more to say, like, oh, happy holidays and all that stuff. There's, like, festive stuff. It just got to be too much this week, I feel like. I mean, it's it's a good thing that you have so many people that are contacting you that you feel like trying to keep up with everybody is a chore, so I guess you're not in a bad spot, even though you might feel stressed out by that, right? No, yeah, you're right. I mean, I should be thankful for that, but I think that uh, I don't. I feel way more stressed out than the average week this week. That's all. Yeah, I. I mean, I should be, because I have I have a two year old, and he's getting like, he's getting set for his first Christmas. He's gonna remember. It's it's crazy. Like we have the presents hidden. And we've been we've been doing a bunch of stuff, and he's pumped. Like, that's he, awesome. Yeah, so he's gonna he's gonna get to open one present tomorrow night, 
and then Christmas morning, it's, oh, I can't wait. I can't wait. Yeah, no, that's not stressful, bro. That's like an anti-stressor. I mean, it's easy for me to say as someone who doesn't have a kid and doesn't have to worry about <laughs> no, it. No, but... getting, it's getting everything to the point where you're like, all right, now this is enjoyable. Right. But... I mean, it's like, you know, you're doing something for a reason, like, you know, very defined. Like, it's it's about your kid, right? Yep. And, like, for me, it's it's like, uh, oh, another Christmas where I don't have a kid yet. Fuck. So. Now are you? Do you uh, never mind. This does, <laughs> this doesn't need to go in the cast. You're yeah. like without a kid yet. Are you? Are we? Do we have a little Ian in the future? Dude, I mean, do I want to have a kid born in Ohio, like hanging over that for the rest of his life? I don't know. That's that's what I'm thinking. I I got you. I got. So you. yeah. Anyway, <sighs> back to uh, the tournament. So. Sorry about that tangent, folks. I know that you listen to this for very serious legacy analysis for your very serious events coming up. But no, that's a that's a good tangent. Honestly, this episode's going to be coming out on Christmas morning. Oh shit! So, really? Right? Because tomorrow's Christmas Eve. That's the edit release. Sorry, it'll be coming out on Christmas Eve. Christmas Eve night. Wow. Oh, yeah, I just didn't know what your editing schedule was going to be. I figured you might need some extra time. Well, I probably yeah. Maybe I shouldn't guarantee that, but. I think it's going to be up to, uh, tomorrow night. Oh, dude, last year you did an episode with James and Julian. That's right. That's what I was trying to, I was trying yeah, to remember. You, you were traveling. Yeah. And uh, and we had the promo cast. I was trying to remember why I didn't, I don't remember recording a Christmas episode last year, but now it all makes sense. Well, Merry, Merry Christmas. <sighs> Merry Christmas, bro. So, yeah, the, the top list... In case anybody hadn't seen it, Hans Jacob Gotik. It's four Volk and three Underground Sea in a like a nineteen land Grixis Delver deck. The creature suite is four Delver, two Young Pyromancer, three Dreadhorde Arcanist, two Bedlam Reveler, and two Brazen Borrower. All the spells you'd expect, except no spell pierces, one Force of Negation, and then three Thought Season, two Fatal Push. And this is like the template for the other four lists that we see in the top eight of this tournament and the top eight of the challenge. This is like the, the solidified Grixis list now. And it, it's a good deck, man. I just played against Rich. with the, He was playing this deck, actually. And I was playing uh, Tomas Mars deck that we see in the, the later The on. four slash five color. Yeah, it's technically five color, but it's like an Esper feel to it. Yep. And... Uh, yeah, this this deck is very good, the Grixis Delver deck. I actually expected the efficiency of this deck to sort of run over Thomas Moore's deck. And this is sort of, this is something that I do that I don't know if we really talked about before, but when I look at decks that have performed well, like a top eight like this, we know that Hans is a great player. We know that uh, Thomas Moore is a great player, obviously. So I tend to do this like waiting thing where I'm like, I bet you the decks of the people that I've never heard of before are actually better decks than like Tomas's deck because he is a better player. So he was able to overcome. Do you know what I mean? Like, Oh, I think, I think everybody does that. Okay. Right. When, when you see somebody who you either haven't heard of before or you like, you know, and you think that like maybe their skill level isn't super like stellar. Mm-hmm. You automatically go to wow, this deck must be like pretty good. 
But really, again, we're dealing with small sample sizes and variants, and anybody who shows up can spike a tournament. So it, it to me, I think that generally the better players have the better decks because they probably put more thought into their lists. They're probably handling their their cuts and additions a little bit more intelligently. Now, okay, so this is sort of saying? the op- this is sort of the opposite of, of what I was saying, though. Yeah, and there's I, a great I gen- yeah that that's my opinion, right? There's a great argument for that too. Yeah, that the better players have access to more resources and and have tested more and have just played more and know you know lists better. But my feel was that like you know that last weekend we saw that Zenith deck do well. We saw it do well again in this event. So my opinion, if it's not like a great player playing the deck, is that the deck's probably pretty fucking good then. Not to take anything away from the player, but we just don't know anything about them. So my impression is that the deck did a lot of the work, right? Okay. I... Hmm. I'm trying to think of how to respond to that. But I think that if we take a look at like the great players, right? Yep. They knew that deck existed. They saw it pop up. People people who I would define as like great probably would have tested it and like decided, well, maybe this isn't for me. And decided to play something else. Okay. So even though it popped up, doesn't necessarily mean to me that like, oh, this is a great deck because it performed well two weeks in a row or two out of three weeks with a pilot who I might not know. Gotcha. You, you know what I'm saying? Yeah, and there's a, a big flaw in my methodology, too, where these players could be great players. I've just never heard of them, right? And that could be, you know, me not paying attention to certain events or them having taken a break from Magic, you know? It's it's like a, a, a heuristic, a very flawed heuristic that I'm applying, but it is something that I've noticed that I do. I got you. But anyway, I, I really like the Oquisition deck. I felt like it was a nice innovation from that Green Sun list that we saw last time, and kind of a a weird elves thing going on yeah well i had a natural order package which was kind of cool like i like when i used to play a, a lot more legacy i used to like toy around with ideas in my head and i always liked natural order and always wanted to try to fit it in a shell that wasn't quite like rug order like the reduke providence deck or elves and try to figure out a way that you can like jam natural order into a like a blue stew package and I really like the decisions that got made here. Right? So when you say the Reduke Providence deck, is that like the Natural Order Band deck? Uh, well, I thought he played Natural Order Rug. Oh, it could be. Yeah, so I, I just I, remember I thought... like that Natural Order Band deck. I, I don't know if it was Reed playing it, but that we talked about from like 2011 before. Yeah. So I, I mean, I could be wrong. I'm pretty sure it was Hierarchy Lightning Bolt. Okay. So it may no actually i don't think it had any white cards yeah i'm I'm fairly certain that it was just straight natural order rug i'm not going to look it up but gotcha no i believe you yeah trying to trying to come up with something like that okay so i like i like this shell yeah it seems really sweet so i didn't actually own the card questing beast or the card opposition so instead i built thomas mars deck which i liked i it looked like a really fun deck to play because mm-hmm. I like I like to cast him to Turok and I like to cast Swords to Plowshares. It felt like a refreshing change from the the four color non white deck that I've been playing recently. Mm-hmm. 
And, you know, I just took that to play against Rich today. He was playing that Grixis Delver deck that we see Hans Jacob had. And I, I honestly didn't expect the deck to be as good as some of these other decks. But it really held its own, man. It came together. It was really tight. And, I mean, Astrolabe kind of does that, right? It's kind of like the death right now. It just fixes problems. Yep. But... <laughs> Absolutely. Also, before we get too, too into this conversation, uh, I saw a Twitter photo of Progenitus blocking a questing beast in cube. <laughs> and that is not going to work out well for the Progenitus. That's awesome, bro. Yep. I did so, not see that. I think I think it was Jarvis. So, big brained, big brain Snoopy. Beautiful. But yeah, I uh I was really impressed with Tomas's deck, honestly, and I think I'm going to leave it sleeved, man, which is the the biggest uh compliment I can pay a deck in in these modern times when uh when tournaments are few and far between. Yeah, I think that you also need to go pick up some oppositions. Absolutely pick up some opposition. How much are they? To twenty bucks? No, I don't I I think they're probably around a two dollars. Was it a common or something? I think it was an uncommon in, in Urza block. Oh, okay. Maybe it was a rare, but it, it's like a one of in cube and that's it. It looks like uh eight euro, so about eleven bucks. Oh man. I'm wrong. I'm wrong. Yeah, so it's a rare. Go. There might in, be another printing, but... In Urza's Saga? A rare in Urza's Beaker. Oh, Urza's Beaker. I thought it was gear. All right, never mind. Yeah. So, yeah, I need to get those, I guess. Or maybe I can wait for the next banning and see what the meta looks like now. <laughs> we'll, we'll see what happens. Oh, yeah, I only have one guy's cradle, too. That was the big one. Oh, okay. But, yeah, the... Uh, Obviously, the shell that we saw last week, uh, was it last week? Bologna, two weeks ago, with sort of Gilded Goose, Noble Hierarch, this sort of shell. We see this opposition deck in the finals, and then we also see in the top four a deck that's pretty damn close to the deck that uh, came in second at Bologna. Uh, there's a little tweaking, like, they only have one Courser and they added a Tarmogoyf. You know, a little tweaking to the Green Sun package, but basically the same deck. And there's like even a Trinosphere in the sideboard, Carpet of Flowers, Meek Stone. So obviously heavily influenced by that deck. So this shell seems pretty fucking real, you know? I mean, green cards are good, right? They are... I mean, I don't want to say they're like better than they have been in a while because Rug Delver was like the the sort of enforcer of the metagame before the run and six ban and run and six was green but green green creatures like hierarch gilded goose we you're not worried about the one toughness anymore and we're starting to see what those decks are doing branch off a little bit because that run and six definitely the run and six ban definitely like diversified the types of decks we're seeing and I mean, just taking a look at the data and what's going on, it's really hard to like pinpoint down exactly where everything is going, right? And I think that's kind of what you want in a format. Yeah, I agree. I mean, we, we've talked about Astrolabe kind of at length over the last few episodes, and I'm not trying to get into it again. But the, the objections to Astrolabe are just the tendency for these mid-range control decks to become five-color decks, right? It's not like an objection 
to the power level of the card. You know, it's just cutting off certain avenues in the format, like Blood Moon and Back to Basics, of constricting greed. So it's really more like a a purist request for a ban on Astrolabe than like a power level thing. Where I think that there really are a lot of viable strategies right now. And if you enjoy playing blue decks against other blue decks, it's not a bad format, you know? Right, and I think that when you take a look at what's going on with the results we just had, it seems that Astrolabe was in check, right? Because, like, what you're worried about with that card is that the greed is real and that all of those three, four, five-color decks start to blob together and just play the most efficient cards and they all look the same. So, like, now we're actually seeing a branching out it's still a lot of like blue green X. The obviously the Grixis list that we saw didn't weren't really doing that. It was more just red blue splash black. But I think that when you take a look at what Astrolabe does, it diminishes the power of Wasteland. It allows those blue decks to just become a gigantic conglomerate of whatever cards they want to play. And if I'm just looking at the results from this week. I'm pulling back on that. We can't have this card anymore. Yeah, I feel... I really feel like it's kind of more of, of a academic debate, I guess, than than like a, there's something wrong with the format debate. Like we... I, I just want to make sure that we framed it properly, right? Yeah. And and these results do play a big, a big part in how I feel about it because, you know, we, we're seeing... Uh, in the... In the bizarre, or sorry, not bizarre. In the Eternal Weekend, there are quite a few astrolabes, but the decks are pretty different, like you were saying. Yeah, and I think that like, as long as you're seeing different shells that that card is being played in, then you can't say, all right, format health is worse because of it. But I I do think that Legacy has been the Wasteland format, and Wasteland being good in Legacy has been something that has like I don't know I don't want to say been consistent because against top miracles wasteland was awful um but it being the wasteland format after it being the brainstorm format is like it's something to think about yeah. we're not we're not really seeing a ton of wasteland yeah no wasteland is definitely at a low I would say for better that that bothers me a little bit it does, 100%. I was thinking about that, too. Dude, you know what I was thinking about? You know how we talk about, like, reprinting dual lands and, like, you know, what duels would be the most attractive if, if you're considering that they, they won't restrict the reserve list? Like, what, what kind of duel would they have to print for it to be legacy playable but not, you know, like a snow-covered taiga or whatever? Right. What if they made, like, an indestructible shockland duel? Uh, I think that it would probably... If we ban Astrolabe, obviously, that would have to be done first. Indestructible Shockland Fetchable Duel. Yep. Man. Would that see play? That's what I'm wondering, right? right? Like, I mean, there would be... I think that you would be like two volcanics and one of those so that you could fetch that out against Delver. Hmm. I think I'm actually not sure. I don't have uh, enough time to process that 
in my yeah, head right I'm, now. But I I'm think sorry, like, bro. It just popped into my head. But. You would probably see a mix of the decks that were fetch land based playing one of them. So you could just go get it and make sure you solidified your mana base. Yeah. But if you're playing against a tempo based wasteland deck, that two life definitely matters. Yeah, of course. So I'm actually not sure. No, I'm not sure either. It just sort of popped into my head. Because the one nice thing about Astrolabe, right, is that we probably have less stress on the reserve list right now than any time I can remember in Legacy since I've been mm-hmm. playing. So if we, if we get rid of Astrolabe, there's sort of that pressure on the reserve list cards again. So I'm, I'm just sort of thinking about ways to assuage that. Yeah, I don't know. I think that, like, that pressure, right? We just had Eternal Weekend. The Grand Prix schedule hasn't been released for the full year, but we don't get we don't get anything here. I think that right now, with the lack of SCG, the lack of known Grand Prix, and pretty much everything that's been going on from the top down at Wizards, I, I mean, Legacy is a casual format. Oh yeah, dude. I mean, the prices of the cards have just gone through the floor, right? Like the I was looking at the buy lists from Portland this weekend. Yeah. And Volcanic Island was three twenty five, and so was Underground Sea, right? And if you recall back in Vegas, you know, a year they were and like five hundred. They were six hundred even at, at oh, ninety five wow. MTG. Yeah, for Underground Sea specifically, I think Volk was like four seventy five. But uh, we've obviously seen quite a softening in prices and part of that or, or the large part of that i should say is certainly you know the uncertainty regarding organized play and and legacy's role in that but i don't think i, I think that a non-zero percentage of that is also astrolabe and you know the decks that are good right now okay i think that most people that are able to like swap decks into playing an astrolabe legacy control deck probably have access to dual lands and that doesn't change the prices too much but before i forget uh did i tell you this last week i had talked about my guildmate in another game who i found out who played magic and i think that i had said that they had like gotten stomped on camera but i want to let it i want to let it be known that their elo is like a hundred points higher than mine so this this player is like this player is very good. Also found out that I had talked about them on the podcast half an hour after the, the episode got released. So Montana Magic Community, thank you guys for listening. We, uh, we, we heard you. Wait, can you repeat that? I'm not, I didn't get that. So we had, last week I was like, all right, well, if anybody's in the Montana Magic Community listening, give a shout out to whatever person. And they figured out who the person was. And I got a message from that person like an hour after the episode was released. So the Montana Magic community is listening. And we appreciate Oh, shit. It. Oh, I got you now. Yeah. Yep. So somebody somebody who knew that person was listening to our episode and was able to sort of relay the message. Is that what you're saying? Yes. Absolutely. Interesting. That, that's it. Yep. And uh, we are completely off of the charts in Germany since Lawrence <laughs> came on. So we're... I don't need to check my our Germany chart rankings anymore. We're done. Oh man. Well, this eternal weekend coverage is probably gonna get us back back on. Hope the so. I hope so. I don't know whether or not I should say that we love Angela Merkel or hate Angela Merkel. Whatever's gonna be more marketable in uh, Germany. 
Ich bin ein Podcast. I don't know. I don't even know what that means, but. Hi. Yeah. Bro, wait, speaking of German, can I just say real quick, Dark is the best show that I've ever seen in television history. And I'm not, I'm not like exaggerating. It's not that I've had four high lifes already, which I have. Dark on Netflix is the best show of television I've ever watched. Okay. What show? Don't, you haven't seen Dark? You No. Bro. I've never, Dark. I've never heard of Dark. It's called Dark on Netflix. Season three came out, and I watched it. And, I, like at the beginning of season three, I was like, man, I don't remember everything about season one and two, so I rewatched those. So fucking good. Okay, can you give me like a? I don't, I definitely don't need to know details. I need like genre and like basic basics of the show. What is it? It's time travel. It, it's like uh, these families with like high school age kids and there's like some sort of drama with the families, but kids disappear and it turns out that they, they're getting sort of sucked into this time travel plot. So you have 33 years in the past and 33 years in the future. Okay. And it's just an incredible show, man. Like I, that show is so good. Okay, so I need to check the show out because I hadn't you heard really of it. You really do. You really I was should, about yeah. to get ready to like crush The Witcher because I had heard good things about it. Um, you, you really should watch Dark, man. I, I, I know that like we, our, our tastes are, you know, not, not exactly the same, but they're also, you know, not parallel lines. Like we have quite right. a few intersections in terms of our taste. I know that if you give this show your attention, you will absolutely respect this show is like you probably won't call it the best show of all time you'll probably call it a top 10 show of all time okay no i'm i'm more than willing to commit the time for that also i saw the last jedi or i'm it's sorry like new, i'm sorry i saw i saw the rise of skywalker all of my friends were dumping on this movie all of them okay the per the people that i would usually trust to say oh wow this is a really good movie so you don't trust pat is what you're saying well listen we're saying like okay it's okay like pat did it say could, it, pat was been, like, it was could have been better could have been yeah. worse it was yeah. fine right so going into the movie and no spoilers by the way going into the movie i was like all right it's really hard to top all of this star wars history and backstory and your feelings about it and being able to see it for the first time it's it's never gonna meet my expectations just because of what my friend said and i saw it and i fucking loved it wow. i enjoyed every minute of sitting there and i i felt like i had an awesome time watching it and maybe that's just because i'm like a like an unrepentant fanboy i love well wait wait wait, wait. hold on what did you think of the the jedi the last jedi the feminist one so I, I thought that it was all right. Okay. I, I still, listen, I still enjoyed watching it. Yeah. There were some things that I thought that were like, like could have been done differently. I, I thought the, like, it doesn't matter, but I thought the whole casino story was kind of trash. And the, the spacewalking Leia might've been done a little bit differently, but I thought the main story was fine. Like it was okay. But 
I thought this one was so much better than that one. And I thought that it was so much better than the first one in this trilogy, too. I thought it wrapped up everything really, really well. And I I was pumped after it was over and when I was watching it. Okay. Because, you know, I've never seen any Star Wars, but Star Wars review season, I do really enjoy because I just, I just like, I don't know. It's, it's, there's some element of, like, schadenfreude. Or I don't know what it is, but, like, I, I just enjoy, like, watching people fight with each other, I guess. Yeah, and so, I'm not trying to, like, start a fight on the internet. Like, all I'm saying is, like, I really enjoyed it. And I thought there were a bunch of people who were hating on this movie for no reason, so. No, no, I agree. What I was going to say was that it seems like the people who liked episode two, is it, didn't like episode three, and the people who didn't like episode two really liked episode three. And if you liked, if you liked both of them, like, 100%, then you're just a fanboy. And if you disliked them both, then you're just a hater. That's how it seems to me from looking at the reviews. Okay, actually, I think that's pretty fair. I think I liked I liked three far more than I liked two, okay. but I didn't I didn't hate two. I just I I thought that the whole casino arc was terrible. Fair enough. Okay, back to magic. Yeah, back to magic. So we talked a little bit about Tomas Mars deck. It's it's in fifth place here. Uh, Tomas Mar. I don't. I don't want to say something really dumb right now, but he was the dude who came up with Checkpile, right? Yes, he that? was. Okay. That's right. him. Thankfully. I thought so. So this deck is no Vista. This is an Astrolabe deck that's sort of a departure from the, the previous four-color Astrolabe builds, where we have uh, six dual lands in this deck. Uh, well, seven total duels, but six different lands. So we've got 11 fetches. There are Deltas, Strands, and Misties. And then we've got two underground seas, a trap, a tundra, a scrubland, a vulk, and a bayou. And then one snow-covered island and one snow-covered swamp. Well, so this is a different way of utilizing Astrolabe right. than we had seen in the other ones. This is saying, all right, I'm only going to play a few basics. Yeah. But the combination of Astrolabe and fetching that one basic turns it into like a painless city of brass. And I think I like this mana base construction better than trying to play the let's be really basic heavy and rely on having an astrolabe in play this is saying i'm gonna be like a dual land focused mana base but if i can get one basic and an astrolabe in play it turns everything else on so while all of the other decks have a mana base that struggles without astrolabe this deck has a functional mana base because we're not seeing back to basics. We're not seeing blood moon. We're seeing wasteland be at an all time low. So it's just supplementing the fetch dual package. And I really like that. Yes. You, you exactly nailed it, man. That, that was sort of my fear with playing it was that maybe the, the fetch lands weren't going to line up, you know, like I was going to have a misty need to fetch a scrubland or something. And in the six games I played against Rich today, that never happened. Uh, actually, I think I played seven games against him. And that never happened. I found that this mana was smooth as butter. And it would be a problem against Wastelands or Back to Basics slash Blood Moon. But we're seeing both of those seriously waning right now. So I thought that this mana base was actually perfect for the decks that you're hoping to see right now. And... 
him to Turok was just so great, man. It's, it's such a good card. Uh, Teabag Tom right now is playing was playing Jond with him to Turoks. I'm doing pretty well with it. I know, I know. But <laughs> now, uh, Tom, Tom is awesome. Tom is great. Yeah, we jo- love Tom. Oh, okay, why? Does is it because like punishing fire seems like it's okay i don't know if punching fire is even good yeah i don't, I don't know, know if he was playing tom punishing tom jund, why are you playing but... jund you can play blue cards yeah but anyway this deck played really smooth you still get that abrupt decay which is more versatile than fatal push you know or source of plowshares or whatever yeah but you I do mean, get ver- you do get source of plowshares but... for like depths or whatever so you're really just playing the best spells in every color in this deck. I mean, that's the, that's the point of playing a mana base like that, though, right? Oh, yeah. No, 100%. I'm just saying, like, this is... I feel like this is actually the greediest you can be. Even though it, it does sort of look like the other four-color decks, I feel like this is actually the ultimate stretch. Because you're talking about a blue deck with double black spells and five colors. Yeah. I, so... This would be like an interesting thought experiment. Let's say that you had no color requirements for a deck. Like, you didn't have to worry about their mana cost. You only had to worry about their converted mana cost. What spells would you play? And then how would you build a mana base to be able to make that work? Right, yeah. That's a, that's a good way of articulating sort of what I what I think of this deck, I guess is that I think that actually these are just the best spells at, at the different mana costs. Okay. I, I understand. I just, I'm, I'm trying to, like, I know that we're talking about it right now, but I'm trying to, in my head, put together what I would be playing. And it would probably have at least one, it would probably have one Supreme Verdict and a few Hymn to Torak as well. And, uh, yeah, that, that would be a very rough mana base to build. The one card that I think is missing from this deck in terms of playing the most, the, the best cards at each mana cost, I guess, would be Dreadhorde Arcanist. Now, do you think a deck like this can really can really support getting the most out of Dreadhorde? And it's not that's not like a like a colored mana issue. I just worry that the uh, how can I say this when you go into like a like a four or five color good stuff deck. And you're you're picking the spells. You have a lot of things that aren't ones, and Dreadhorde Arcanist doesn't really line up well with that. Right. So you do have you know four brainstorm, four ponder, and then depending on which matchup you're playing, you're either gonna have you know four source of plowshares or three Inquisition of Kozilek in your post board games. Yeah. And then and then you also have like sort of incidentals. But those are the big ones that you can hit. And I do think that that's, that's enough to form your critical mass. But I don't think that it's it's a Dreadhorde deck like the Grixis deck or the Blue-Red deck. You know, the Delver decks would be. Yeah. Because those are bolt decks, right? And that, that just makes Dreadhorde Arcanist better because you you know you can cast a bolt on an empty board. but And you can also check a Planeswalker with it. 
but I think that um, I do think that this deck has enough cards for it. But what I was actually thinking about after playing it was almost like a sideboard plan because people are going to board out removal against Strix and Snapcaster as your only creatures. So the way that people used to sideboard in Bobs in certain matchups, like you know, like uh, we we would see Bug decks do that sometimes back in the day. Yeah, I was I was actually thinking about like having a Bob or two in the sideboard, or like a, a Dreadlord Archimist or two in the sideboard. Okay. Um, I I still feel like for for Bob to be good, right? Mm-hmm. You you want to be like you want to be able to play that grindy game where you you get a bunch of extra cards from him. And I feel like this deck already plays that grindy game. You're getting a ton of advantage where you probably don't need to waste the sideboard spots on Bob. Yeah, true. Well, but I I feel like I feel like a I don't know like a like a tarmogoyf might be better fit for this deck where you see all right uh my opponent just has a bunch of value creatures to win i'm boarding out all my removal and then you play a four or five tarmogoyf and they're like i can't deal with this yeah i feel you on that so i don't know i also yeah my experience playing this deck so far and sort of like working on on lists in the past few weeks is that you in post-board games, you kind of want a non-blue Planeswalker, right? Because your your big win cons are like, or, you know, long-term advantage cons, I guess, are Oko and Jace, you know, these blue cards, right? Sometimes mm-hmm. True Name Nemesis. So you want something that doesn't get pyroblasted. And I feel like Tom, uh, Tomas Mar solved that problem perfectly with two Sylvan Libraries in the sideboard. That's your Planeswalker in these, you know, against Delver or other blue decks, right? Yeah, I mean, Sylvan Library is absolutely outstanding and even though we're seeing more abrupt decay to deal with oko which kind of like is down on that sylvan library plan it's it's a boss yeah and i really, I really got pissed hold up okay Oh, you got KFC? Yeah. I'm going to judge you based off of the sides that you got. So I'm going to ask you when you get back. I'm not cutting this. If you didn't get mashed potatoes and macaroni and cheese, we're not friends anymore. Yeah, what's going on? Sorry, my wife. You, got got, KFC. you guys got KFC? Oh, you heard that? I did. Hold up, hold up. Um, what sides did you get? I didn't. I didn't actually see, but I'm sure that there's mashed potatoes and there's probably mac and cheese. 
All right, I don't like, I don't this, like the this worked out perfectly. I just want to let you list. I want to let you listeners know that was not edited. You'll hear it. You'll hear it when you listen to it. Okay. All right. So yeah, do you like KFC mac and cheese? Uh, so while you were gone, mm-hmm. uh, I heard oh this KFC, and uh, I said that I have to side check him, <laughs> and if there isn't mashed potatoes and mac and cheese, like. This is probably going to be the last episode of the dead format, and um, it happened. Yeah. Oh, you yeah. Had, no. You went two for two. I mean, mashed potatoes are a given, right? They're great, but I don't know, man. Like, I don't. I never had the other sides at KFC, but I'm not a, not a huge fan of their mac and cheese. But it, well, I mean, it's better. It's better than their other sides, and honestly, everybody trashes on Boston Market, but the only good thing Boston Market does is their mac and cheese. Correct. So. Exactly. Yeah. KFC used to have these like Cajun potato wedges that were really good, but I haven't seen those lately. Okay. Anyway, so you were talking about Sylvan Library before I rudely interrupted you. You're talking about how it does die to abrupt decay, but not everybody's playing abrupt decay and they're already getting stretched. Is that what you're saying? Yeah, and like Sylvan Library is kind of like a mini planeswalker, right? Like yes, the no, is, yeah. uh, that that card is so good. It's amazing. There, there are a lot of cards that used to be a lot more prevalent in the format, like Narset or Leovold even, that we're just not seeing. So the natural punishments for playing a card like Sylvan Library just aren't there. Yeah, you're not no, definitely. Narset's just gone. Yeah, you're, you're not getting killed when you play it, right? Like, you're not getting comboed out. The Delver decks aren't like they used to be. They don't have that much reach. And against against the current versions of Delver, you have time, and Sylvan Library is still very good against them. So there yeah, it's funny, man. Like I played these games against Rich. I actually, when I looked at this deck, I was thinking like, okay, this isn't gonna have a great combo matchup. You know, we're not talking about like a Spell Pierce sort of days deck, or you know, we don't have much pressure in this deck, and we we just you know, if you don't have any pressure, you eventually run out of permission, right? But mm-hmm. I actually did pretty well playing against when Rich was playing Ant. And, you know, part of that is a sideboard. But also, you know, this is a Baleful Strix deck. And we're not used to seeing that. We're usually seeing Ice Van Coatle nowadays. And what's nice about Coatle is you can play it at instant speed, so you can leave up interaction. This deck doesn't really have that much interaction. You have two Drown the Locks in the main. And other than that, you have Pitch Counters, you know, Force of Will and Force of Negation. And that's actually what I found I really liked about this deck is you didn't feel bad about tapping on two to play your Sylvan Library because it's not like you were leaving anything up anyway. You know, you have some Veils and Pyroblasts in the sideboard, but you can sort of figure out when you're going to need those a little better than a Spell Pierce, which you will sometimes trade off for a Cantrip or something. Mm-hmm. So I, I actually really liked how this deck was built. The the trade-off between people playing Thoughtseize over Spell Pierce, right, is... If you're playing Sylvan Library and you're playing against a Thoughtseize deck and and you get Thoughtseized, they have to take the Sylvan Library, right? Every time. Like, they can't craft their game plan around, like, taking your Planeswalker or taking your Days or taking your Cantrip and leaving you stranded. Like, they're priced into just taking that Sylvan. And if you're able to set up a Cantrip where, like, they Thoughtseize you on turn one, take something, and then you Cantrip, cantrip into Sylvan and then top deck it on the next turn and slam it, they are so far behind from playing that turn one thought season to turn two whatever. 
that um, there's time for Sylvan Library in this format. Agreed, 100%, yeah. That's, that's exactly what I noticed. So, do you know this guy, Johannes Gutbrud? Um, no. Okay. Uh, but, I mean, yeah. No, I have no idea. I don't know many people. No. Uh, I definitely you... don't know many people named Johannes. Yeah, <laughs> nor do I. But you, you seem to know, like, you know, more Magic players, I guess, than I do. Like, in terms of, like, good players or whatever. So, I, I've never heard of this dude either, but he's playing Miracles, Band Miracles. And it, I saw a couple people reference him as being, like, one of the one of the real ringers in this top eight. So, obviously, he's had results before. Mm-hmm. This deck is very similar to the Miracles decks that we were seeing last week. We've got three Ice Fan Coatles and one Veil of Summer and three Okos in the main. And then the Blast in the sideboard. So, you know, this is very much uh, what Bant Miracles is now, I guess. Yeah, I mean, I think that this deck has had repeated success over the last few weeks, and it's definitely real. Absolutely. Oh, 100%, yeah. So, I don't know if we're taking a look at, like, the events and what has happened over the last month or so and being like, all right, this is what you need to prepare for. This is what you should be looking for. But the Grixis Delver, Bant Miracles, um, all of those are things that I think are going to kind of define the metagame going forward. Absolutely. And I'm really surprised to see Grixis pop up like this. I do think it's a good deck, but you know, it just to just to sort of ride like we we only see one other Delver deck in either of these top eights, and it's a blue red deck that's really pretty close to these two. Mm-hmm. So it seems like people are just off Tarn Wipe Delver for whatever reason right now. Well, I think that we're seeing a lot more Ice Fang Coddle and uh, Baleful Strix, right? Yeah. Like yes. if you were looking at where Tarmogoyf was before, Tarmogoyf was dead. And then it came back when Ren and Six came around because it took care of all of those value Death Touch guys. And now those guys are back. It's really a hard place for Tarmogoyf, unless you're in a specific shell, right? It can be a great clock against combo, but you just might not even need that anymore. 100%, man. I'm with you on that. I do think that the big hole, like looking at both of these top eights, I think that the the big hole right now is Hogak. And we talked about that last week, and we talked about it on and off for the past few months, where this format seems kind of ill-equipped to handle these Hogak decks, and maybe just not many people are playing them, right? Well, maybe, or maybe... I'm actually not sure. So I'm not sure whether or not, as a legacy tournament player, you're hedging against Graveyard Hate first, because you don't want to get black redded out of a tournament where right. Hogak decks can like catch some splash from that. Or whether or not if we're seeing like what would happen in a top tier meta if everybody gets to bring their deck, maybe Hogak is a great choice against the top. Against like your death and taxes or whatever. The scrubs that you play around on. Yeah, I don't want to say scrubs, but like me. <laughs> me. That's what I'm saying. Yeah. Bro, did you see, so 6th place in the challenge, uh, Musasabi, 
Did you see this deck, man? I'm looking at it right now for the first time. Oh, it's Karn Oko. Urza Emery. Yeah. Okay. It's I like, hate this. Yeah. I love it, but I hate it. It's a Chalice deck, and we've talked for a while about Bomberman being the best Chalice deck, or possibly the large post deck being the best Chalice deck if people are moving away from Wastelands. Yep. But this deck, I think this deck is certainly in consideration, and this is the first time we've seen this build pop up, where it's like Tesserator, but it's like the post-ironic Tesserator, where there's no actual Tesseret and no actual Transmute Artifact. It's just another Bug Oko deck, but it's a Chalice deck. Yeah, I mean, like, I guess you get to play, you get to play up to six copies of Force of Will in your Chalice deck, and Emery and Urza are kind of broken cards that, like, haven't gotten their heyday yet. Exactly. I know Urza, Urza's seeing a ton of play in Modern, and people are trying to, like, do things with Emery everywhere, but this is the first time we've seen it pop up in Legacy. Exactly. And also, I mean, Karn the Great Creator is just a broken card that we're just not seeing that much of, but it's still like, nobody's going to say that it's not a legacy power card. It's still a fucking extremely powerful card. Yes. And with the move away from Spell Pierce, Karn kind of gets better. Oh, absolutely, in my opinion. And it's got that incidental, like, Astrolabe hate on it. It, it just, it looks like a a really hot ticket right now that's hot stuff yeah so I, I would be interested in watching somebody else play this deck and not play it myself that's that's where i'm at with a with a list like this i'd want to see it first before i was like okay i let me give it a try yeah have you ever seen thopter foundry with no sword of the meek i have not but there's got to be a sword in the sideboard in two to four right uh, i don't see one No, there's none. There's just that value foundry. Two of them. No, there's a sword of the meek in the sideboard. Oh, dude, I'm sorry. It's good. I was like, no, there's no. <laughs> that way. makes so much more sense now. Yeah. Yeah, there you go. It's yeah. There. Yeah, there is sword of the meek in the sideboard. Sorry about that. That's an interesting way to do it, though, with no foundries in the sideboard and just the sword only in the sideboard. You well, know? if you look at the tutor package, they're not playing transmute. They're not paying. They're not playing like the cards that you would expect the Thopter Sword deck to play. Like those old Tesserator decks played like a tutor package main deck. Right. But this tutor package is sideboard only, so it makes complete sense that there's only one in the sideboard. Yeah, I'm just struggling to find. I mean, I can understand Sword, I guess, deserving a spot if you're going to be playing Thopter Foundry already. But if you're going to play this deck and have four Karns and, you know, have the Mycosynth Lattice plan, I'm struggling to find the spot where you actually cast Karn and get Sword of the Meek, right? Well, I think the, the idea of you going behind, like, going that plan is when you want to use it as a value play like when maybe when the life gain matters i can okay. i can definitely see the main deck thopter foundry like saving you a few life to be able to stabilize you yeah but 
but we'll see. I mean, there's obviously like meddling mage on Micah's and Vladis or, you know, stuff like that, but. Yeah, I think there's a ton of synergies with Urza and main deck Vopter Foundry as well. That's that's true as well. Really. So, yeah, you don't really need the sword. This deck is really cool, though, man. I, I do hear what you're saying that, like, this might not be the most fun deck to play with or against, but it, it does look like one of the most fun decks to build. Oh, for sure. Yeah. And I really like the look of it. Like, the numbers on this look pretty tight. Four Emery does seem a little excessive, but... I mean, you just... You want... You it's, want... Probably, it's probably just that good. Yeah. Yeah. And you have a bunch of pitch counters. So true, true. Having, like... I, we, we don't... We always say this, that you can always pitch it to force, but this deck... You're looking for things to pitch to force, and that's something you definitely can. Hell yeah. So yeah, this deck is pretty tight, so shout out to Musasabi. Very nice looking deck. And then in... Which place is this? Eighth place, we've got a Bant... Like, Bant Control No Miracle deck. Have you seen this one? No, I should look at it. Hold on. You said eighth. Yeah, eighth place. Uh, Planeswalker, Coddle, Snapcaster. Everything sort of tied together by Astrolabe. Yeah, Astrolabe. This says uh, two, a few cards we haven't seen lately. Two Council's Judgment in the main. Two Narset in the main. And that that's about it, really. It's just uh, no Terminus Bant. Just straight up, honest-to-God Bant deck. Yeah, and there's more Planeswalkers than we saw in the other ones, too. Yes. There, there's two Oko, two Jays, two Narset, and one Teferi. This deck seemed pretty cool, and it kind of just highlighted to me just how dead Trunian Nemesis is right now. Yeah, I mean, but... Nobody's going to play True Name Nemesis in a deck like this, right? No, I know, but like the fact that you want to even build this deck in the first place instead of building a True Name deck. Like, the the decks that I've been building lately, I keep noticing this over and over. I have more Planeswalkers than Creatures. Well, well, Planeswalker is like kind of a broken card type. It really is, yeah. The best, the best answers to it are color-specific. So... I mean, if you're not, I don't know, like if you're gonna say, all right, true name dodges all this removal and everything like that, planeswalkers do that, and sometimes they can give more advantage. And if you're not like actually getting your opponent dead, planeswalkers are gonna provide more value over a long game than true name. So we saw true name when we were seeing like really tempo oriented fields, and this is not a tempo oriented field right and even in the rug decks it seems like brazen borrower is just a three of choice now well when the format slows down that card just gets a ton of flexibility right like yeah. it's, it's card advantage where true name true name is more of a tempo card yeah true name can be virtual card advantage if if you're dodging removal spells but these decks aren't going to be able to fade removal spells. They have a lot of squishy creatures like Delver, Dread Arcanist, Young Pyromancer. So even in post-board games, you're not fading straight up fucking Plow or whatever. 
So you're not being able to take advantage of that angle. And then you get, we're not seeing any depths really. We are seeing a little reanimator. We are seeing a little hogak. So there are ways that the borrower just becomes straight up card advantage. Like when you're bouncing something like like a token or, you know, a merit lage or even a hogak because of the resources you have to expend, sort of like a bouncing a Gurmag Angler or something along those lines. But it, it makes total sense why Brazen Borrower is seeing as much play as it does. It's just so funny that True Name is virtually absent right now. Yeah, well, Borrower is also like a great flash threat against other Planeswalkers. Right. And if we're in a Planeswalkers arm race... Which, it, it, I mean, it kind of seems like we're going to. Bouncing your opponent's whatever and then just putting your flash into play to kill a Planeswalker is great. Agree. So, what do you think about... Uh, how, how should we solicit questions for our next episode? So, I feel like we can't do it through the email. We can't? We, I mean, we could. But nobody emails us anymore. We, we ignored way too many emails from our <laughs> listener base of nigerian princes and friends who were stranded abroad who needed us to wire money immediately um we had a lot of people who had that happen to them and i feel i feel really sorry for all my friends that uh emailed me that they needed uh amazon gift cards and and money wired to them but for real yeah I think we should take them on Twitter. On Twitter? You want to you wanna, um, cut down on your social media exposure, but our listeners are worth it. All right. So we should take, how do you want to say this, questions or, or feedback or just, I guess, topic suggestions for this next episode? I feel like this next episode is going to be one of our long episodes because we're, we're covering 10 years, right? It's, yeah, it's we're doing the decade in review. Yeah, I, I want to let everybody know that my wife, Alyssa Smiley, is going to make an appearance. Ooh. So, yo, oh, she has it all planned out. I I shouldn't let her, but she's going to. So I'm, I'm going to be kind of embarrassed. Maybe it'll be motivational. Maybe maybe people will learn something. Uh, it'll be good. Is she going to do like the decade of you? Well, I would, she, I would appreciate that. She, well, I sent you the the topics that she had laid out, and I was like, "Wow, these are really good." Like, do, do you ever want to come on? And she's like, "Do you want me to talk about how you roped me into playing Magic and taught me and my experience in Legacy?" And I was like, "Wow, that's that could be great." Hell yeah! Yeah, uh, awesome. She'll get, she'll get a few minutes to like unrepentantly bash me on the internet that I can't edit out. So that'd be great for her too. Yeah, I think that if anybody wants to share their opinion on, you know, something that maybe something that we don't usually talk about, especially something in like the 2010 to 2013 range that I might have just totally missed or, you know, these overarching trends with regards to the format, something that you want to make sure that we hit next episode, I, I definitely recommend you do that. I feel like when I go back, you know, when I'm an old man and I go back to listen to an episode of this podcast... This I, I envision this this decade wrap being one of the one of the touchstone episodes. Yeah, do you, does it bother you that you're thinking about that? Like, oh, when I when I get older, I'm gonna look back fondly at this year podcast we had. No, do, does it bother you? I don't know. I remember being younger and thinking that like I could never imagine myself at forty, and 
and now and now that it could or could not be almost here i uh i don't know i'm having my like midlife crisis really yeah i don't know if it's a crisis it's probably not really a crisis but i'm just i'm just thinking about life in general whether or not we're making wise use of our limited time on this planet yeah, well, if you need any, if you need any Z bars, hit me up. Yeah, you know what? I might, I might tomorrow when I'm editing a podcast on Christmas Eve that <laughs> nobody in Germany is going to listen to. I'll, I'll hit you up. No, I, I do know what you're saying, though, bro. Yo, one of my, I guess we should wrap our year since next episode is going to be hyper focused since we're trying to get through a decade. I'm going to wrap my year. I'm going to say real quick, the highlight of of this year for me and the highlight of definitely one of my top five magic moments ever. My experiences playing magic ever was Niagara this year. That, that was a great time. I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna lie about that. That was I, a high I, watermark. I also really liked Syracuse. Oh yeah. And that was, that was probably like a year and a half ago now, but Mm-mm. But that was a that was a that great was, time too. No, that was only nine months ago. Really? Yeah, Syracuse was awesome, and then Niagara was was just phenomenal, just an amazing time. And yeah, Syracuse was also an amazing time. We we did better, or at least I did. No, we both did better in Syracuse. But Niagara was just an amazing time. The people that we met, you know, the, the sort of podcast gathering and everything we've talked about, probably ad infinitum to to the people that weren't here. They're probably like, don't start talking about this again, please. <laughs> Another Wait, highlight of my year, actually, was getting the the feedback. Actually, we're talking about Alyssa. The feedback from Alyssa on, on our podcast in general is is saved on my desktop at work as like one of one of the more inspirational quotes that I go to at times like this. Uh, being how am I so fond of Ian when I hate literally every socio-political thing that comes out of his mouth? That is, you, you that's one of the quotes. About that next week. When I meditate in the morning, I think about that quote and it brings me peace. Like, you know, just one with the universe peace. I think that's a good place to wrap it. <laughs> All right. Ian18125 on Twitter. TSmileyMTG. Deadformatcast at gmail.com. And dead format cast at Twitter. At uh, Twitter. That's where you want to hit us up because the uh, the cast email has been hijacked by two factor authentication and Nigerian princes. So do we have time for bonus meme? Yeah, let's do it. Uh, I got nothing, bro. What do you mean? You said do we have time for it? I figured you had something. Nah, I really don't. I thought I did for a second, but I got nothing, man. Uh, Joe has it then. So yeah, hit us up on Twitter with your your recommendations for the uh, the decade wrap. Uh, or if you're not on Twitter, you know, get on there, start putting the cult and cancel culture. Uh, you know, do your part. And uh, yeah, that's a wrap. You really weren't gonna go for that Joe comment. I didn't hear you. Oh, I said well, Joe must have it. Joe uh, Damasio. No, I was. I wanted you to say Joe who. Joe who. Joe Mama. Oh, bro! I remember her from Penn Island. <laughs>